Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys here. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be going here in just a second. Now, we're in Revelation, but we're going to hang out in Romans 1 for just a minute. So if you want to turn there, and then the other big areas, uh, Revelation 12, and then Revelation 4 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. If you want to do that, uh, I don't know about you, but... uh, Worship is always special to me here at Bentry. Uh, some uh, weeks, some services uh, uh, just slays me. Uh, and that was today for me. Uh, the Holy Spirit just is in this place. So let's not let that lag. Uh, let's get our Bibles out, notes out. Uh, this is just as much worship as singing is as we open God's Word. Uh, here's what I know. From my understanding, uh, uh, statistics will say anywhere from the low side of 85 to high side of about 95, some as high as 98%, but 95 generally, people think there is a God. Does that make sense? Like if you just ask somebody out there, is there a God? They'll say, oh yeah. Now, we don't know what they mean by that. Some type type of supernatural being, uh, the God, the one true God we, uh, we preach about, uh, we love, uh, uh, whatever it is, people believe there is some kind of supernatural power out there. If you talk about atheists, like people that say, no, this just, uh, this just always was, it, uh, A, it doesn't make sense, but B, there's only about four, five uh, percent maybe uh, that really believe that most everyone else believes there is a God some kind of supernatural force now here's the thing here's the thing I'm not saying that all those 95 85 95 percent are believers in fact I would say actually few of those are believers uh, I, I would say probably out there when you just go to Safeway and you're kind of checking out you know with your groceries out of the hundred people that you saw at Safeway, 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 four, four, maybe five of those are believers. And that's just a guess. But, I mean, it's a pretty educated guess of saying how many people, uh, about 4%, 5%, some say as high as 6%, really are going to heaven, have a relationship with, with the Savior. Uh, and, and that's big. Now, I'm not saying um, that we, uh, uh, you know, we should hunker down here, just us, a little Christians. No, I'm saying we got to get this message out. But what I want you to know is, is something pretty powerful um, here. It seems like if that many people believe there's a God, but so few are Christians, what is that? Here's what I think the Scripture is that kind of tells uh, why so many people believe there's a God. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about everyone. What can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. You get what it's saying? See, if you don't ever hear about the gospel, you should know there is a God, and I believe people do. Although I don't think that they know who Jesus is. He says, look, you can see it in the creation of the world. You run into God. People run into God from the moment they wake up. I mean, it's like you open your little eyes and you do... You take a breath and you run into God. And all day long, if you know it or not, you're putting your hands on the face of God. Every time you take a breath, everything you do, you are in His creation. For us in Colorado, um, we know this. People listening online, uh, maybe you're a little envious. Don't envious. uh, Well, maybe a little bit. We live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Amen? You guys don't believe it. We live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Amen? So when I'm looking out from a mountaintop peak and see for 200 miles, what this scripture is telling me is you are seeing through the creation who God is. Does that make sense? Yesterday, B.B. and Dawson and I were walking through 
forest and it was raining. We had our, you know, jackets on, umbrella, it was cold and it was just perfect because that's when you can really smell. It's like my favorite smell. And I'm telling you, God was there. I could see it. I could sense it. And everyone else could too. If they do it or not, he was right there. God is there. You, you get this especially. I, I love it uh, when I get to hold a newborn baby. Just brand new. You know, like they clean it up first. But, you know, they, they hand the baby to me and I just, oh, I love that. That baby, that's, you see the hand of God. Oh, people believe in God, but the trouble is we can't see Him. We can't see Him, but we can sense something is going on. We we can't see it. It's almost like we're fumbling around in the dark. You ever do that? Get up in the middle of the night, you're fumbling for the light switch, and, and our hands are all over the face of God. It's like we're touching His chest and His shoulders and His ears, and we're kind of feeling the face. You go, there's something out there. I don't know what it is, but there is something out there. Everybody agrees on that. I would even argue like that 4, 5, 6% that, that don't agree actually do. I bet that they actually do deep downside. This series is called Revelation Part 2. It's the second in the series, and like the name implies, it's the continuation of that first series we did a year ago. If you didn't get to see that, download the app. It's right there. There's no excuse. Go listen to it. We're going to cover uh, the next section of that. That's why it's called Part 2. Don't know if you're familiar, Part 1, Part 2. So it's a series, right, of a series. But really what we're going to do in part two is if we're in the dark and we've got our hands on the face of God and we're like going, who is this? What, what is, how did we all get here? What we're going to do in this series is we're going to click, turn the light on. We're going to turn the light on. You're going to see who God is. Now here's Here's a word I want you to see. Now, i got to tell you, uh, go ahead and get your notes out. We're doing notes different in this series. Um, it, most of the notes, you're going to see a verse and a line by it. That's to give you what I'm talking about at that point. I'm not going to give you too many fill-in-the-blanks. In fact, there's only one today, but this is it. Uh, look at this. A theophany. A manifestation of God to people. Not necessarily even to God's people, just to people. This is the real God. It's the real God. And today what we're going to do is we're going to flip the lights on. We're going to see what this is, this manifestation of God. Uh, there are a few times in Scripture when it happens, when God reveals Himself uh, to the sensible signs, uh, sight, sound, uh, smell, even taste that you're going to see in this series. But look at me, look at me. This series is about to turn that light on and it's going to have a different effect. For some of you, you're going to see this theophany. You're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. You're going to go, yes, I knew it. God is all powerful. Your heart's going to pound, man. You're, you're going to have some tears. Like in this worship time, I was like, oh, man, this is good worship. And I was going, God is in this place. Some of you, we're going to flip the lights on and it's going to scare, let me be careful, the hell out of you. And, and here's what I mean. Because you played like this was some kind of like Christian game, and, and now we're getting to the real part where you're going, oh, I don't know if I want to uh, pull back the curtain see who God is. We're pulling the curtain back. Some of you will, will kind of panic a little bit. You go, oh, it's just imagery. It's just a story. It's a fairy tale. But let me tell you, this is more serious than anything else that we do right here. Opening God's Word and seeing what's ahead. Because here's what I want you to know. Every other book of the Bible, except for this one, is different. Because it talks about God's past, and this does too a little bit, but talks about the future. But get this, I'm as serious as a heart attack. Here it is. You're in this book. You, you are in this book. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter uh, how you act. It's just going to show you the future. Now, there's some past in this too. There's going to be some of these things when the light comes on. You're going to go, man, this is confusing. It's going to be scary. I'm gonna, hold on, hold on. We'll get past the scary part. But I want you to lean into this series. 
I want you to do study. And let's be honest, isn't this the reason many of you have avoided this? Because you know what it is. You don't want to have the lights turned on and see what it is. And maybe you thought, I, if it's best that I don't know, maybe I'll just kind of keep it out there in front of me and I, I, won't, I won't really look of what it does to me because you don't want to be scared. Why study it? I mean, uh, why not leave the lights off, right? Some of you are like that. Hey, I think we should just leave the lights off, right? Um, three reasons to study this book. Uh, number one, the promise that is made to those who read it. Look at Revelation 1. Uh, we're just going to stop here for a second, but it says this promise, blessed or blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, which is interesting. Why reads aloud? I don't know. And blessed are those who hear and keep what it is written, for the time is near. Turn to your neighbor and say, the time is near. Do it. Time's near. This is the promise of one who reads the words of loud. The prophecy, you're going to be blessed, right? But the condition of that blessing is what? Those who keep what it says who keep what it says about the future. The reason that we do this is we want to be prepared. This isn't about head knowledge and say, woohoo, I've studied Revelation, look at me. No. It's like, what do we need to be doing? What do we need to do right now as believers in Jesus? Not, not play like Christianity, not a game, not a social experience, an experiment, but what do we need to do to get ready? Maybe you've asked, uh, why study it now, Paul? Like, is it the hurricanes? You know, like we've been hit with these hurricanes. How about the earthquakes, right? Is it that North Korea threat? Like, we could be in nuclear war by the end of the week? I'd say, yeah, all those things. Because... The Bible describes those as birth pains. Uh, ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Sharp pains. You go, you know the end is coming. This is going to be it for the time is near. We don't have long. And that's what this scripture says. The time is near. There's nothing like facing death to clarify things. You know, like, hey, I wonder if I'll stop at 7-Eleven for coffee. Wait, no, I'm about to die. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? You clarify when the end of the world is coming. It's why it's said there are, no, there are no atheists in a foxhole. I mean, let's be real. I think this is one of the big reasons we don't look to this book because uh, uh, it holds up the statement to us that the end is near. I think that's scary to us. We want to play like, you know, the little kid like going, La, 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 la. Like, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me what's about to happen. But for those who love Jesus and are in Christ Jesus, we're like, woohoo, we're going home, baby. This is going to be good. Look at what Revelation 1 7 says. Behold, he, uh, this gets exciting. It's talking about Jesus. He is coming with the clouds. Somebody say amen. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all. The tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, say amen. There's going to be some serious cheers and some serious tears when Jesus returns. Let me give you some instructions on how to best enjoy this series. Uh, like getting a, on a ride at Disney World, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. No flash photography and make sure that seat belt is snug here's some safety rules first come every week this is important very important you don't want to miss out on a piece of the picture because quite frankly you're going to be lost on this make a commitment now to not miss a week if you have to be gone make sure and get the bentry app listen to it we try to get that up by about wednesday second there is major imagery in the book and symbolize the symbolism that we're going to try to unpack. But don't get too wrapped up in the strangeness, like going, whoo, oh, I can't grab that. I've never seen one. Does that make sense? Don't get too wrapped up in that. What we're going to uh, see, I'm going to do my best to explain, but we're praying the Holy Spirit unpacks this stuff too. Now, the third thing is drop your preconceived ideas of what this book is talking about. Let the Holy Spirit 
as we read the Word of God, let the Holy Spirit unpack that for you. So leave your preconceived ideas at the door. Let the Word of God speak to you. Uh, and lastly, number four, don't let this book divide us. Don't let it divide us. I'm glad uh, to be studying this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out what I think God is telling us, but some things we just don't know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you. If I have an opinion, I'll tell you that too. We have this thing, kind of open hand and closed hand things out there. In other words, there's some things we... We, we don't know good believers, good theologians come down both sides on an issue. We just don't know. But I'm going to teach it this way. And I may give you a couple of different schools of thought on it, but really not too many. I'll teach you what I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. But then the closed-handed side is things that we are not open to negotiation. Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? amen. He is born of a virgin, amen? He is God's Son. Amen? So those things, kind of non-essentials and essentials. Does that make sense? So we're going to cover that. Don't let the non-essentials divide us. Just don't do it because the enemy gets in that way. He split whole denominations over this book. Uh, people going, well, I saw a TV evangelist and he said, what I want to do is understand what Jesus wants us to do in our life right now. The goal is not to figure out here's this knowledge look at me the goal is for us to do what do we need to produce uh, to do right now to prepare for the end does that make sense like what do I do to get ready for the end well click your seatbelt pull on it right quick make it sure it's snug right there make sure that uh, uh, it's securely tightened and let's get started but first go in prayer heavenly father we open this time and we say god as we open this series uh, we are relying on you may your holy spirit speak in such a way that we uh, know it's you um, and that you would reveal all truth guard my lips uh, it's in jesus name all god's people said amen well, if we jump ahead a little bit to chapter 12, John describes what he sees, and it's not the future, it's actually the past, but not our past, what well, kind is, but it's before human history. It is before time, and it is a picture that's pretty scary. Look at this, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The conflict. Good and bad, the great struggle, it's where it began. It's really not a close contest. God's not struggling like, I don't know if I can make it, but this is literally the good versus evil where it started. Satan was cast out of heaven because he sought to rival the Most High God and receive worship that rightfully belonged to God alone. Now, Satan was an angel. He was created by God. Satan wanted the worship that was God's and God's alone. Does that make sense? You might be thinking, worship, what's the big deal about worship, right? Right. Uh, if you're saying that, let me just suggest you don't get it. And that's okay. It's okay. But just understand there's a major piece that you're not getting. Worship is a big deal. Worship is a big deal. You remember that when Satan was tempting Jesus, uh, you remember that early on he goes through a couple of different things like turning the bread, our stones into bread. Jesus answers him each time. He said, no, no, no. Each time was scripture. But the last time, he, Satan says this. He takes him to the top of the highest mountain. Your Bible may say a great high mountain or exceedingly high mountain. And, and Satan is there with Jesus and he says, look out, see all the kingdoms of the world. I personally have that picture in my mind of like Mount Everest, right? 
You see just hundreds of miles. Satan says, all of this could be yours if you just bow down and worship. All of this. Now you got to understand, you go, man, that doesn't seem like a big temptation, but here's why it's a temptation. Because Jesus was about to, to live this next three years in there, would face death so his father could give him the world. You know, he would be king, right? But Satan's saying, you don't have to do anything. Shortcut right now, just get down on your knees. Worship me right here. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Leave me. Be away. He says, you should only the wor worship the Lord your God and Him alone. Jump back to chapter 4, if you would. Revelation chapter 4 in the last series, Revelation part 1. We studied the first three chapters, right? Uh, and, and I don't have time to explain the entire picture again, but just you guys jumping in here, go back and listen to that. But what he does is uh, he explains, uh, Christ explains through this first three chapters, it's a letter to the first seven churches or seven churches in Asia Minor. He says, this is uh, the church. Uh, your church now is one of these. He uses as kind of a prototype. You're either this one or this one. And be on guard. And he says, you are, he says, watch. You may be a combination. But here's the picture I want you to see. At this point, all the disciples, save one, are dead. It's only John left. He was the youngest. We think he was about 14 when he was with Jesus. Now he's in his 90s. He's been arrested, and he's been put on an island, but not just any kind of nice island. It's an island that's just barren rock. He's getting some fishing tackle and something to write with. and He goes on, and it's a prison island where he serves out his time. And he goes into a cave. We know that where the island is because they name it. It's Patmos. I'd love to go there sometime. And we know where the cave is there. And, and so during that first three chapters, he looks at these uh, seven churches, and it's Jesus himself that's taking him through there. It's a beautiful picture, but I want you to look. It's right at the end of all seven churches. He goes to this one, Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. You got that picture? And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Do you see what it's saying? Now it's saying, look, this is the future. This is the future, what I want you to see. Now, who was the first verse, uh, voice that he heard back then? It's Jesus, right? This is who it is. Jesus is speaking. Now, don't get hung up here, uh, but realize that heaven is a real place. And I know it's hard because we haven't been there, but it is more real than what you are touching right now. So much more real. We don't know what happened to John's body at this point. Uh, it's kind of like when Paul was saying, hey, he says, I knew a guy that was caught up to the third heaven. That's what this is like. He says, in body or out of body, I don't know. We just don't know that. We assume, we can assume Paul's body is still there in the cave, but he is up with Jesus looking at this door. Now, here's what's interesting about the door. It doesn't mention a wall. It's just a doorway, and we assume that's a pretty massive doorway. What does Jesus say? Uh, he says, come on up here. Look at this, verse 2. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, we'll get to this, but I believe, this is just theory, that he's standing in this doorway, and he's up above. And here's my reasoning. Because what we're going to see over the next few weeks would be impossible to see if he were down on the level. It's just too big for him. And so he's looking down on all this. But dominating the scene right in the middle is a giant throne. You see that throne? With one seated on the throne. He looks inside. Look at what the word throne there. I just want to point this out. In this book of Revelation, throne is mentioned 45 times. And in this chapter alone, 14 times. It's a symbol of power. 
It's a symbol of being absolute rule or sovereignty, what we have, what we say. The throne of God depicts this majesty of God, the king of the universe. And I want you to know that this is real more than the chair you're sitting on, right? So look at verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now there's a lot going on here, but here's what I want you to understand. His words, he tries to describe in his words, in his mind, what it looks like. But words start to, to, to crumple and, and shake and disintegrate under the weight of what he sees. He's trying to describe, but look at this. Don't get too hung up here on Jasper and Carnelian. He's just saying the colors. He can't even describe these are lights, this color that's coming out, but he's saying, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So instead of like a rainbow that's like this, the rainbow goes all the way around 360 degrees uh, from the throne. Now, here's what we know about the rainbow. God said He destroys the earth, right? In Genesis, with the flood. He says the whole world is evil. Except I'm going to say this one guy because he is faithful. Who is it? Noah and his family. And at the end, when he saves Noah, the whole earth is drowned there, right? The whole, uh, uh, he saves Noah and his family. He says, by the way, I'm going to put a rainbow and he uses the words, my rainbow, my bow, I'm going to put it on, work, on earth to show you that I'll never flood the earth again. Now, this is interesting right here because he says, I'm going to take a piece of my rainbow and I'm going to set it for you. And what's interesting is what color is this rainbow? It's green. Why is it green? I have no idea. I have no idea. Ours is a spectrum of color, but here's what I want you to know. We know because of science, color is like this, but we can only see this part. You know what I mean? It's like this to here, but color goes far beyond. I believe that John, this is just a thought, is able to see for those few minutes a broader color spectrum so he can behold. I think it's the same with sound, by the way. Uh, you musicians in the audience, you know that we can sing high and sing low, but there's a lot higher, a lot lower. That Won't that be majestic? Now he says, look, I'm going to put part of this rainbow on earth. Here's what I want you to know. This is just like a little traveling tip as we go through this deal. Everything that God creates, Satan will take and corrupt it and create a false version of it. Does that make sense? So you have Christ, the king, right? So Satan will also make up an anti-Christ. Does that make sense? Starts right here. The rainbow. You go, what do you mean? He, he set the rainbow and it's never going to flood again, right? What has the rainbow been co-opted for? Yeah, you got it been taken in fact the sin why the earth was destroyed the sin they have actually taken that and say no no god god created this sin see the rainbow it's create and you go man that's some evil evil stuff right here one more thing about the rainbow we got to keep moving um it marked the end of the flood right but here it marks the beginning of the end he says i'll never flood the earth again he didn't say anything about fire then. It is the peace that we see before the end starts. The rainbow of God goes all the way around him. Do you see that? You see that? Look at verse 4. Around the throne, there were 24 thrones, and seated on those thrones were 24 elders. Hang on, right there. Do you see that? There's one throne and in the middle it must have been massive i'm thinking like stories and stories tall i'm just just that's my thought that's not biblical fact i'm just thinking about this and then 24 other thrones all the way around the rainbow goes out by the way one more thing on the rainbow uh you know why it's it's all the way around him now because he's the source of the light now there's no sun 
doesn't mention a sun. It goes through the clouds. And all of these uh, 24 elders are seated on thrones, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, who are these guys? We don't know. We simply don't know. Theologians have theorized that uh, maybe uh, it, it could be the 12 brothers uh, of the Old Testament where the clans are named after. That'd be the Old Testament part. That's only 12. What would be the New Testament part? Well, the 12 apostles uh, there, uh, it, they think, well, maybe that could be. We just don't know. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. They have white clothes. They're wearing clothes. And what else? They're wearing crowns. Uh, here's what we know. Jesus says when believers make it home, we will be given a robe of white and we will be given a crown. Here's what I want you to see. Some of you view heaven all messed up because of, of Hollywood or things you've preconceived. This is why we study. Some of you kind of picture those fat little babies with harps flying, you know, like that. That's not scriptural. This is the picture. Why is it important that they had clothes and they're real? They have bodies. It is as real as this table, as real as that. They have bodies. Brothers and sisters, let me just remind you, Jesus promises you a white robe just like this and a crown. Look at verse 5. For the throne came, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, I want you to look at this first half. From the throne came flashes of lightning. That means from the center throne, it's going out and we assume that there are clouds. Clouds are always associated with God's glory. In fact, when Jesus goes up from the disciples, you remember that? What does it say? He went up into the clouds. And, and, and we don't know what those clouds are. We actually don't know. But what the picture is there is this lightning and thunder. Here's a theory. Here's a theory. I kind of picture when I'm hiking and I hear thunder and lightning or I'm at home and I hear it. I like the sound, but I got to tell you, it scares me a little bit. Does it you? Some of you are going, no, it doesn't scare me. You know, we have a word for you. It's called a liar. Because if you are under lightning and thunder, it is this majesty. I think that fear is natural and comes from right here. It's going all the time. We see this in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. You see it in the Old Testament, Genesis, of uh, thunder and lightning. As, as uh, God calls Moses up the mountain to give him the law, you remember that? And it says the people thought he was dead because it was just this constant lightning and fire up there in this cloud that couldn't see anything. And, and it's this picture of God's majesty on that mountaintop. But it's this second part of this verse that I want you to see. It's pretty powerful. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We're going to get into this more in future weeks. But what I want you to see is the triune Godhead already is represented in the first two. You're going to see the third appear. It can't miss next week because that's when he appears. The first two, God sitting on the throne, 24 elders, right? And then lightning and thunder uh, there. And then you have this picture. What is it? You've got the Spirit of God in front of him, seven torches, which are the seven spirits of God. It's the Holy Spirit. This is scary stuff, by the way. Look at this. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. I won't spend long on here, but let me picture this. Remember John's point of view, he's looking down because he can see all this. Um, he sees the floor of this place as like this sea that's everyone. He calls it a sea of glass like crystal. We don't know what that is. Here's what we do know. It's translucent and it shimmers. It reflects God's glory, but it brings back God's glory even more. Does that make sense?
the same word in here uh, for this is the same stuff that is the streets uh, are paved with in heaven. Some of you are like, uh-uh, it's paved with gold. Here's the problem with that statement is you're still not getting it. When they say gold or do these certain stones, it's just like they're, it's falling under the weight. Those words don't hold up. He's saying it's like a sea of glass. I don't know, it's translucent. It's, uh, it's, he, he's trying to describe it. I'm going, it's much more than gold. It's much more than gold. The great theologian said uh, back thousands of years ago, a couple of thousand years ago, just after Christ, he said, it's cool to see. He didn't say cool. But he said, he said, look, the floor of heaven is the ceiling of our universe. It's this beautiful picture of the floor of heaven. Look at the second half. It says, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now don't let this freak you out, but four living creatures, where are their eyes? All over, everywhere on them there's eyes. Some of you are like, ooh, just get the picture, get the picture. Four living creatures, who knows how big they are, we don't know, but I'm assuming pretty massive, and you'll see this next week for sure, because there's a lot more people in this room that are um, not mentioned. John seen from way above, and he describes this thing. He says, look, 24 elders are on their throne, and these four. And notice, these are angels. Write that out beside. Certain kind of angel we'll get to in just a second. They serve two roles. These four living creatures, they serve two roles. One is to do God's will, and the other is to worship 24-7. And they have been doing this on and on. Notice how he describes them. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle, but it says in flight. Now, what is this picture that we're talking about here? What is this picture? Notice here... The creatures like a lion, but it's not a lion. What is a lion? It's wild. It represents that animal wild kingdom. What is the, the next one? Like an ox, but not an ox. You guys can be taught. It's like an ox, but what does it represent? We don't know for sure, but it's a domesticated animal. You know, they're the ones that use, so it's got wild animals, uh, domesticated animals. Third is like the man, but it says a face of a man, but not a man. And then the fourth is a living creature like an eagle, but, but it throws one in, in flight. What this means is its wings are out, at least two of its wings. Uh, this is huge. Notice uh, how he describes them. We don't know why it's important, but you should get this down because uh, you're going to, to see it. Why do you think they have these four types of creatures? I don't know. It's this picture of worship. Look at verse 8. Here, we're missing verse 8. Did we get it already? We missed verse 8. Let me read it to you. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within, day and night. Listen to this. Listen to this. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is, this is holy ground. This is holy ground. Moses, as he approached the burning bush, he goes, what is this? It's a bush that's on fire, but it's not on fire. It's fire, but it's not burning. God says, come here, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. I want to be very careful. I'm trying to kind of give this kind of picture of what this is like, but we've got to be careful. This is holy ground. What we're doing here is holy ground. What we're experiencing, the holiness of God is the most difficult of all God's attributes to explain. 
because it's one of its essential attributes that is not shared inherently by mankind. We don't get this one on our own. Understand that we are created in God's image and we could share many of his attributes to, to much lesser extent. Think of like love, uh, mercy, joy, faithfulness. You get the idea, right? But some of God's attributes uh, such as omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, those things we can't handle on our own. Not created beings. And holiness is like that. It's not something that we possess inherently. The only way we can be holy, check this out, is through Christ Jesus because He is God. This is important to understand. We're deep, this is some deep theological stuff. We cannot be holy. It's just impossible on our own. We have to be in Christ Jesus. Holiness is like that. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Here it is. For our sake, He, God, I want you to check this out, made Him, Jesus, to be sin. Now I want you to understand, don't go heretical on me. It's not saying, for God made Christ, like created Him. No, Christ is God. We know that, right? Someone say Amen. What he's saying is he had him experience sin. He made him to become sin who knew no sin. Why? Because he's holy. Not just holy. Holy, holy, holy. So that in him, Christ, we, we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, it doesn't get any deeper than this. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. He gives us His righteousness. Only in Christ do we have righteousness of God. God's holiness separates us from, uh, separates Him from every other created being, angel or mankind, anything else. God's holiness is more than just perfection or more than just sinless purity. It is the essence of His otherness. He is something different. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't be that unless we are in Christ Jesus because He is holy. His transcendence, God's holiness, embodies the mystery of His awesomeness. It causes us to gaze at wonder at Him as we begin to comprehend just how little of His majesty that we can even comprehend. This throne room blows our minds. They sing, Holy, holy, holy. And we're like, holy, holy? That sounds good. It's because we don't know what we're talking about. These are a type of angel called seraphim. Write that down. Uh, seraphim, they have six different wings. We'll get to that in future weeks. We'll see their use. But one of the uses of their wings is to fly. It's one of those things. And it indicates uh, that they can fly, but it also, they've got all these eyes all around them. We get a glimpse that these guys can see these all the way around them. They're, they're aware, but they, we see these guys in the Old Testament. We see it in Ezekiel, and we see it in uh, Isaiah as well. Look at this, verse 9. Watch what happens when they lead worship. you got these four guys. God's in the middle. These four creatures, these angels, the seraphim, they can do two things. Uh, they do the will of God, carry out His acts, what He says. But then the second, uh, they worship. And watch what happens when they worship. Verse 9, here it is. And whenever the living creatures, the four, give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their, their crowns before their throne saying, look at what this is. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. You see those three things? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Baby, 
The chorus swells, starts with the four. They cast their crowns. These 24 elders join in. They get on the floor and they, they go, we can't take it anymore. we got to just throw our crowns. They didn't just say they took them off, set them gently. They cast them down. They go, I can't wear this in the presence of an all-powerful God. The chorus swells. This thing, this is holy, holy ground. The elders extol God as uh, worthy of threefold glory, uh, honor, tribute, glory, honor, and power because he exerts his sovereign sense that this omnipotent being can become stronger. No, no, no. How can an infinite thing become more of anything? He can't. But what they're saying is in your people, You will be magnified in your people. We will raise your name on high. Nothing will stop us. We will magnify your name, the strength, the honor, these praises to God for His eternal, perfect, and created achievement. Check this out. They are a prelude to a new song. This song has been going on for centuries, centuries, Thousands of years, eons. We don't know how long. This, this thing, this real place, this throne room of God is a real place. And for forever, people have been singing this song, but there's a new song that's about to start. One where the Lamb, Jesus, will be revealed. Now here's the thing I want you to see. What, what we worship matters. What we worship matters. How we worship, it matters. God wants and is owed our worship. Today we look at the very existence of evil. How this war began, the good versus evil, Satan cast down, he, he tried to be God. His pride cost him, didn't it? Look how the Bible describes Satan before the fall. I, I, I'm going to put my boots on because this is about to get deep. You know? Satan. We're going to describe Satan. His fall. This is before the fall. Look at this. You were an anointed guardian. Cherub. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Then look at the prophet Isaiah, what he says about the fall from heaven. Isaiah 14, verse 12. He describes the fall this way. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. A created being, made to worship, the model of perfection, and full of wisdom and beauty, we believe at one point, he was the highest angel above all the other angels the leader of worship, because he was so persuasive enough to convince one-third of the angels to follow him were cast out of heaven. Even after his fall from heaven, not even Michael, the archangel, would mess with him. He says uh, he has to have God with him. He's powerful. Listen, Satan fell because of pride, the sin. He did not like being second to God. He wanted to control his own destiny to be God. Maybe you've said that. I know I have. 
I've said, hey, not my will, uh, not your will be done, but my will be done, God. I want it this way. Oh, and by the way, I want it this way with some extra money. Or I don't want this. I want this, God. But this series is about the end of the war, too. And what we need to do to get ready for the end. Let me close our time with this verse, verse 10 of chapter 12. You remember Satan thrown down to earth. This is where we left off. John says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him, hear me, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows his time is short. We live in a battle zone. A literal war between good and evil. And we live, check this out, behind enemy lines. We live in a war zone. We know the war is won, but it still rages on. So how do we live? What do we do? Let's worship the King who has saved us by the power of the blood He shed at Calvary. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything. I will adore you. Would you pray with me?